0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Holiday, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are now 12 days away from the new year, just a few days away from Christmas. And I really hope this has become a holy journey for you. You know, I've been reminded this year more than ever of just how countercultural this really is. (laughs) I've been out, uh, you know, I don't know, shopping or doing, you know, concerts or whatnot. And I've just really been in touch with how frantic and hectic our culture is and uh, during this time of the holidays how difficult it is to really just focus on the holiness of God and but you know I think it does make perfect sense because you know when you study this nativity story and you think about every little aspect of it you know everything is significant in this story uh, the choice of Mary the choice of Joseph Bethlehem the star and um, the, the, the Uh, shepherds and the wise men and just the fact that he is born in a stable where all the animals are and what that tells you about the incredibly humble heart of God. I mean, each one of these little details in the story gives you a better glimpse into who God really is just in his character and what how you can draw near to him and how you can be amazed by him and so of course it's it's mind-boggling it's almost unfathomable that the creator of the universe would choose to put himself in skin and be born as a baby and grow up that way just so that we could see how he wants us to live. That's really really amazing so of course satan doesn't want us to connect with any of that so his whole thing he's a master at distraction so he just distracts us and so we got and it's just easier it's easier to do the tree and the presents and the and the stockings and all the stuff which i love and i do not want to get rid of at all (laughs) i love all those things but they can be distractions from what is really they're just a lot easier to focus on than it is to really take in the unfathomable love of God, it's crazy. So I hope that you get some time to really marinate in all of the um, the intricacies and the, the rich details of the nativity and take it from that storybook that we grew up with, you know, the, sort of watching the Charlie Brown Christmas and, and all that, but into the real uh, crazy nature of God. And then I also hope that for those that have been doing this, if you remember, we started this journey way back before Halloween. And whatever it was that you vowed to him, whether it was to become more humble or more loving or more patient with your children or to open your hands every day or to, I don't know, some of the things that I've been praying for, I think, are um, that that we'd let God's dreams become our dreams and to, um, you know, surrender every area of our life. Or maybe it's to, you know, to fall on your knees at a certain time of day or get up at a certain time of day or not eat until your stomach growls or whatever it is. No matter how tangible the goal or how intangible the goal i pray that whatever those things were that they have led you into a closer relationship with god that has allowed you to draw near to god because i don't know why but he cares about all of those things whether it's little even waiting for yourself to growl he cares and it is a crazy thought to think about that god cares so much for us why in our incredibly insignificant lives. If you think about them, the Bible says that we're just a mist. If you think about a spray bottle, just a mist on the earth and just a drop in the bucket of eternity. Um, But yet he treats us as if we are the apple of his eye, the pinnacle of creation. As David said, who am I that you are mindful of me? And I cannot tell you why, but God knows the number of hairs on your head he counts every tear he keeps them in a bottle and he knows the very littlest details of your life and he cares about them so i just pray that this time has allowed you to draw close to him or almost to the end Um, and i pray that you'll be closer to god by the end but we are trying to make our ascent to 2020 we're trying to be more spiritual by the time we get there we're trying to be more holy right um and so we've been following the psalms of ascent and even this is so imperfect like i really thought we were going to get through all these psalms and now i'm like i'm not going to get through all these Psalms. (laughs) we only have 12 more days i'll probably make one more video or something like that um and i don't know we're just going to keep going and get as far as we can so we are going to start reading in psalm 129 and i think today we're going to cover 129 and 130. so here it says from my earliest youth my enemies Have persecuted me. Let all Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they have never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts, as as if a farmer plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good; He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turning yellow when only half-grown, ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder. And may those who pass by refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you. We bless you in the Lord's name. So the psalmist starts here by just recalling just how he's been persecuted his whole life. And, and then he says, let everybody say it with me, because the Israelites had been persecuted straight from the beginning. they had always been different. First of all, Abraham was called out of a polytheistic society to be a, to, to a monotheistic thing. No one had ever seen that before. He's, he's going to worship one God? What is that? You know, so he's different from the beginning. Circumcision, that's different from everybody else, for sure. That's a very different practice. And then just the persecution that they've endured for all those years, being slaves in Egypt, going from slaves to Assyria, slaves in you know Babylon, slaves in Roman Empire. And then you know it's continued on, continued on all the way through the 20th century. You've got the Holocaust. You know, the Jews were persecuted time and time again. And we can jo- join in with them in this lament. It's a collective lament to God. God, we've been persecuted for so long, you know, because Jesus, of course, being crucified, and then all of his apostles being tortured to death and martyred, aside from John, who was exiled, and then the persecution that followed those early Christians for 300 years, Nero, and then every Caesar after that, just continually torturing and persecuting the the Christians. This is our heritage, too. This is our heritage. This is where we come from. And the persecution has gone on through, through the centuries. The church has been persecuted. Um, and even to this day, of course, we know we live in a society where we're still persecuted, not to that extreme at all. Um, but of course, there is persecution in our life. And the Bible guarantees us in the New Testament it says that anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus even tells us, that it's actually a good sign. He says, happy are those, or blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. He says, this is actually even going to be the blessed way to live. You are going to undergo persecution. And this is the way we have to see this. You know, persecution shows that we are doing something right. It is good if you are being persecuted. You need to say hallelujah and rejoice that you have been counted worthy to endure that. Because, you know, there is a way to to escape persecution. Absolutely. Just live a lukewarm life. Just say, I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not getting involved. Don't reach out to your neighbors. Don't try to help them. Don't share your faith. You know, don't say, don't be Christ's ambassadors. Don't be a reconciler for Christ. Don't don't say to that I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. No, just stick to yourself and do your thing and go to church and don't let anybody else know about it. That is the way to avoid persecution. (laughs) But the life is so meaningless. You know, you don't get to help anybody but yourself. But when you put your life out there and you go, you know what? I'm going to make my house the house that shines like a light in the darkness. When I look at my neighborhood, I want my neighbors to know where they can come for the light. You know, it is going to stir things up. You are going to undergo persecution. People are going to turn on you because the gospel in itself is offensive. Jesus never did anything wrong. And he was still killed because of his faith, because of his perfect life with God, which is His relationship with God, and we are His imitators. We are His followers. We're going to experience the same thing. The gospel in itself, the Bible says, is offensive. Now, what I do pray for is that I that I won't be offensive in the way that I present it, which I have been a million times. I am the worst. I'm the worst offender. Maybe you're great at it. I'm not. I, you know, I'm either the best communicator in the world. Or the worst communicator in the world and that is a sin on my part you know and i could remember when i first became a christian i thought i found all the answers to the i found all the answers to life you know and i go try to tell my family and my friends and of course they're not as fired up <laughs> you know. they're like hey um but you know because i was arrogant in the way i said it you know and perhaps i was i wasn't sensitive and i you know all the things that i am all the sins that i am but we can pray that we will become better ambassadors. We can pray that God will get rid of all of the stuff that is offensive that's in us and just let it be about him. If they're going to stumble, let them stumble over the the rock, it says. Let them stumble over the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, but not stumble over us. So we can pray that we put things out there in the best way, that we're not arrogant, that we're not prideful, that we're not self-righteous, that we're not hypocritical, whatever it is, you know, because they've got all those charges against us but that we are representing Christ in a great way. We can pray for that. But even if you do it your best, you are still going to undergo persecution, and that is going to be a good thing. I can remember we had a really bad incident happen on our block. We had been doing a a pumpkin carving party for years. Those of you that know me, I've done that for years. I want to say 20 years. And we do this pumpkin carving party every year so that people come over. We get to know our neighbors and perhaps reach out to them. And... Then this thing happened at one of our pumpkin carving parties where one of our guests was super offended. It was totally a misunderstanding, but he went and slandered us to all of our neighbors and we started getting persecution from everybody. Oh, it was awful. But you know what, it passed, which we're gonna talk about a little bit. As far as it depends on me, I'm gonna to have to live, we tried our best to live at peace with everyone and God will bless it. And that is the best way to live. When you help somebody change their life, Oh, my gosh. When you help them turn from a life of sin to a life with God, and, and even if even if one couple that you convert stays faithful, it makes up for the other ten that fall away or, or, or choose to persecute you or don't follow God or, you know, say you're crazy. Um, after this, it says, because right here it says, but, you ha- but they have never defeated me. It says, from my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they have never defeated me. And this is what we need to remember, disciple is that the church will never be defeated by persecution. It has made it through all of those years that I just talked about, all of those storms, and is still here today. God said that on this rock, Jesus said, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Persecution only makes the church stronger. And if I had to make my choice between persecution from without and division from within, I will choose persecution from without every single time. You know, and I would, even, I would even propose that when we are sharing our faith, when we're focused on getting the gospel out there and we're dealing with this persecution that, that inevitably comes whenever you're stirring the pot, whenever you're trying to help people, it, I would rather have that than the division here. And I think when we're not doing enough of the sharing our faith, the division happens. We start to turn on each other in the church. We start to have that biting and devouring each other and all that stuff gets stirred up and it's so much more hurtful than the persecution from without. So if we can stay focused on our mission, if we can stay focused on spreading the gospel, it actually takes care of a lot of that division and the hurt feelings that happen within the church. Anyway, it's not gonna defeat us. It actually makes the church stronger. Many scholars will tell you that this church was the, at its strongest the first 300 years. Well, that was when they were totally persecuted by the um, society that they were living in. Um, but it says, my, uh, the next section that it goes into, it says, My back is covered with cuts, as if a farmer had plowed long furrows, but the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly, and you know I think that there are there are scars and there are hard things about the ungodly society that we live in, and you know there are wounds that that come from you know people that we've tried to reach out to and people we've tried to help and then they turn on us and all that kind of stuff and that does happen, but I don't think those are the deepest rows. When I read this scripture, now I'm going into imagery, and this was personal to me, which. It may not be this way for you. But what I immediately pictured when I saw this was, you know, just how it looks when you're being whipped as a slave. And that's what it's referring to, those years of slavery in Egypt. And that that imagery of Egypt is the imagery of our years as slaves to sin. You know, all of those wounds that have been inflicted upon me, they're nothing compared to the wounds that I inflicted upon myself from all those years of slavery to sin. And that's what I think about. Nobody forced me to be selfish. Nobody forced me into the drug lifestyle. Nobody forced me into my sexual morality. Nobody did that to me. I did those things to myself, and those are my deepest wounds. And I think that it's important to remember that God is trying to cut us free from those those cords of the ungodly, those ropes of the ungodly. You know, he's trying to set us free from our slavery to sin. And, you know, he does. When I when I read this, I was thinking about how all those years ago when I read Isaiah 1 where it says, Why should you be beaten anymore? Your whole body is injured from the soles of your feet to the tip of your head. You're only wounds and welts and open sores, not soothed or bandaged with oil. He says, You know what? Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat from the best of the land. You know, he wants to bind up our wounds. He wants to get us out of that. And I can remember when I first read that and and realizing, oh my gosh, I have a lot of self-inflicted wounds. And then God went to work on me. And he does heal those things when we decide we're going to deal with that. When we decide we're going to deal with all those cords of the ungodly, we're going to get rid of that slavery. You know, now, all these years later, that started when I went into CR, you couldn't pay me to get high. You could not pay me to get drunk. I don't want ever anything to do with it because I have been healed from that. You know, and then later in life, God showing me just my slavery to food. The slavery and and thinking about how he has set me free from overeating, you know. And I, of course, thought that was going to be really quick. You know, I'm going to lose weight. And actually losing the weight was quick. It was pretty fast. But being set free from bondage, that's a whole nother thing. When you are set free from the desire to overeat, that's all. When you don't have to watch it, when you don't have to think about it, when you don't have to worry about what you're eating, when you're eating, what, uh, when you just have absolutely no desire, when you're flying above that pole to overeat, you go, whoa, now I'm set free from the bondage of overeating. And that is a beautiful feeling when God cuts those cords um, that kept you, the ropes of the ungodly, all of that stuff. And he keeps doing that for every area of your life he will set you free after that he turns to this um you know he basically turns this imagery it's a curse on all the people that are against them you know and i i don't know that i understand absolutely all of this but i think the imagery that he uses when he's he's talking about the taunts of the ungodly he's talking about this persecution that's come and he's saying, God, you curse them, you know, let their let their uh, taunts come to nothing. He's talking about how the plant would grow up on the rooftop, but you know, it, and you think, oh, look, that looks really nice, but of course it dies before it's even half grown. It's not useful to the reaper, it's not useful to the person that's gonna try to sell it, bind it up and sell it, it's not useful for anything. We have to remember that all this persecution, though it looks scary, um, Satan uses it, and he makes it grow up really quick, and it, it feels very powerful. It really does come to nothing in the end if we can just decide we are going to stay faithful we're going to be wheat we're not going to be weeds we're going to be wheat and we are going to make it through the harvest and you know all of that other stuff it's going to it's going to fall away it's not going to amount to anything i i actually it really brings to mind, to me, the image of the shadow on the wall. You know, in the cartoons, you'll see this big shadow is like a scary monster coming in. And, but then in the end, you see, it's just like this little creature that's on the ground and has nothing. And when the light comes in, it, you know, it, the shadow evaporates. Satan always tries to make things look bigger than they are. He always tries to use this persecution to think, oh my gosh, the church is going to fall apart. No, the church is going to be stronger. Satan does not win. God wins. Wait it out wait it out, disciple. And don't let the the persecution from without keep you from being faithful. Okay, but let's keep reading. In Psalm 130, it says, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? That you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put all my hope in his word. I long for the Lord. More than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. And man, I just have to read this because this is a, oh, this is a psalm to keep you faithful for the rest of your life. I mean, he's crying out from the depths of despair. There is so many times of despair in your life, disciple. I mean, it could be from the persecution from without. It could be division from within the church. It could be from consequences of your old sin. It could be from, you know, you reaping the, yeah, the consequences of, of sin that has trailed behind you. There's so many times where you can fall into despair, but what does the psalmist do? How does he get through his despair? He calls out for help. He begs God, hear my cry. Oh Lord, pay attention to my prayer. This is a this is a constant image that we have. The Son of God himself practiced this on his knees. If the perfect Son of God needed to fall on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, God, help me. I am in despair. I am sweating drops of blood. I don't want to do this. God, your will, not mine. How much more, disciple, do we have to fall on our knees? Let this instruct us as to how to get through times of despair. Are you in a time of despair? Fall on your knees and say, God, hear my cry for help. Hear my prayer. And then then what does he do? He works through this. He says, God, I know I'm a sinner. And if you kept a record of my sins, you should just, you know, blot me out right now. No one can survive. No one can survive. You know, we talked earlier about how God, you know, God counts. What does he count? Our tears. The hairs on our head. He cares about us. He doesn't count our sins against us. He, I mean, if he did, we'd all be dying tomorrow. He says, but with you, you offer forgiveness. Why? Why? It says that, should say so that we might learn to fear you. You know, the reason that God even offers this forgiveness is to show how great he is. It's not so that we can go on sinning and, you know, have some sort of cheap grace things where you live in, oh, do it again and do it again. No, no, no. It's so we can learn that God is so incredibly awesome. We want to fear him, that we see how awesome he is, that we, we see how powerful he is, that we learn a new fear. We are forgiven so that we can learn this reverent fear in service to God. He says, I am counting on the Lord. I just love the way he says that. I am, yeah, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. And man, you should have that outlined. You should have that underlined, highlighted, whatever, circled. Because there are going to be so many times where you are going to need to figure out where your hope is going to be. And this speaks to me because too many times in my life I put my hope in a result. I put my hope in an outcome. I go, I'm hoping for this outcome. No, no, no. I need to put my hope in the Word. It's the only thing I can count on. I can't count on a result that I want. Who am I to even know what is the right result? Who am I to think that I could predict the future and that I have a better plan than God? No. I mean, even in the psalm that we read before, he's saying, God, you curse these people because we don't even really know what we should be praying for. God, they're in your hands. As for me, my hope is in your word. You know, there's going to be times where God doesn't even feel like how you think he should feel. Like, you're not even going to feel the, the fear that you felt at one time or the love that you felt at one time or the peace that you felt at one time or your relationship with God doesn't feel the same as it felt then or whatever. No, no, no. But you don't put your hope in those things. You don't put your hope in feelings. You put your hope in the word. It is an anchor for your soul. You know, there's a reason that they, that they put down an anchor in the midst of the storm. Because there's too much wind for them to get back to port and they're not going to be able to get to their destination right now. They're just going to have to wait it out. Put down the anchor, disciple. Are you in the middle of a storm? Put down the anchor. The anchor is the word. This is what's going to get you through. Not your feelings, not results, not predicting the future, not telling God how he should do things, not being controlling. Lose control. Let God have control. Let the anchor be the word. Put the anchor down. deep into his word and say, this is all I can rely on. It's the only thing that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the only thing. And it can be trusted. I can't tell you why and I can't tell you how. I can't tell you how something's going to work out. I've found myself, people want advice about stuff. I'm like, you know, I'll give it my two cents. But the truth is you're going to find your answers in the word. Anyways, so let's go on. It says, I long for the Lord. More than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. Who are the centuries? The people that are having to stay up all night long to protect the city. You know, there's times in our life we just got to go, God, I need you more than I need sleep. I need you more. I might need to stay up late praying on my knees. I may need to get up early because I need you more than I need that extra hour of sleep. There's so many times my alarm. No, I don't have an alarm. Sorry. There's so many times God wakes me up at 4 a.m. I don't know why, but I have to decide, do I need another hour of sleep or do I need an hour with God? Did he wake me up because I need more time with him? Absolutely he did. There's other times where I wake up in the middle of the night and I've no longer say that's because of insomnia or it's because of hormones. It's because of whatever, whatever, whatever. No, 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 it's because of God. He's waking me up because I need him more than I need sleep. And I long for him more than I long for the dawn. You know, I, I long for him. So I just roll over and I get on my knees and I just go, God, let me count the ways that you are awesome. God, remind me of how awesome you are. I just want to praise you through the night, as the psalmist says in One Light Team. We praise him through the night so that in the morning his joy can come anew, that we find new mercies in the morning. When he wakes you up at night, think, I need God more than I need sleep. So that's another holy practice for you. Anyway, and then it says, Oh Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. And when I think of unfailing love, I just think of that love that we're not capable of giving. You know, we think that we, we try to be unconditional in our love. I know parents, you try to be unconditional with your love. I try to be unconditional with, our, with my love. But the truth is we're just human only god loves unconditionally we can hurt our friends so badly that they don't want to have anything to do with us we can hurt our spouse so badly that 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 trust rebuilding trust takes years and we treat our children the best probably of anybody on the planet that we treat our children but even them you know when they have gotten on our last nerve when they have when they have driven us to the point of the brink of despair we're not looking to bless them it's not something that's on our mind like how what what good thing can I do for my kids who drive me crazy right now? No, but you know what? That's how God is. God, even while we were still sinners, when we were at our worst, He died for us. Christ dies for the ungodly. Like it just makes me tear up. It reminds me of that, that psalm where He says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And, you know, we all look at that and go, That would be impossible. Mothers, we know the love for that child. He goes, even if she does forget, I will never forget you. Disciple, I don't care what you're going through. The Lord will never forget you. He has carved you in the palm of his hand. He knows who you are and he will never forget you. He is capable of unfailing love. We are not, but he is. He truly loves unconditionally. I think back to the times where I was practically spinning in God's face, living a life completely ungodly, comp- literally just, you know, doing everything I can to forget about God, to live for myself. And it was at that time in my life, when I was pregnant out of wedlock, when I was, you know, doing drugs like crazy, when I was just, you know, going crazy, God sent me, Jay, in the middle of all of that. And what a gift. This man who's been faithful to me all these years, the reason really, he was the beginning of my journey back to God because I knew I wanted to have a relationship with this guy. This is how God reached out to me, with a blessing. Even while I was spitting in his face, God reached out to me with a blessing. This is the God we serve. Is I mean... Let that move you, his unfailing love. His redemption overflows. And then this last verse, which is a clincher for me. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. And, you know, I think about this, how, you know, we are... We are just really such sinners it's true and you know when I became a Christian I don't even know how I did I, I must have mustered up one little fingernail of humility to be able to become a Christian but I was so stinking prideful and I had so many sins and so many issues to overcome and God has worked all these years these 27 years or whatever it's been but it is amazing to me that he is still redeeming me from sins I'm fifty-one years old. I'm 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 you know been a disciple all these years and he's still setting me free from new things. I mean this year he has gone in deep, getting rid of every arrogance that I that I can even I mean, just the arrogance in my heart, the pride in my heart, that the the rudeness in my speech, the ways that I've talked, um Poorly to my kids, my impatience with my kids and others, and in my ministry, that the way that I have hurt people. I mean, He is now just setting me free from things I thought I could never be set free from. These are these were my legacy, you know. This is how I grew up. This is who I am. This 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 yucky, um, rude part of me, and God is setting me free from that. This is amazing. This is how we we go in ever-increasing glory, right? We don't have to become lukewarm. We don't have to become tired old disciples. We don't have to become, you know, old and, you know, wow, wow, wow. But think about the good old days. No, no, no. We are being renewed day by day. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It's amazing. I mean, that's what I love. I would love to hear people talking about how God is saving me today. Yes, I would love to hear people's conversion stories, but I also like to go, what has God done for you lately? What is God doing for you lately, disciple? What are you being set free from today? Those aren't the ways of the past. God is always trying to do something new. There is not a single sin. It says he will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. You know, it's not a matter of striving and perfectionism. It's a matter of redemption. I am being renewed and redeemed day by day. You know, I couldn't even figure out how to talk about all the cool things in this one chapter of the Bible. You know, it's amazing to think of what God is doing with us. I hope that this video helps you. I don't know what part of it because I was kind of all over the place. There was a lot to, that, that, that God covers in, this, in these two Psalms, but I hope that something I said is going to help you um, become more holy. Until next time.